Good evening, everybody. As Andy has said, we are looking at the next bit of Mark's Gospel, Mark 11. Somebody find that for us. Give us a page number. I'll put the words up on the screen. 1015. 1015, Mark 11. One. You have to pre-look that up for us to, to, to win. It's like a full start or something if there was a race. But I'll give it to you. Mark 11, uh, 1 to 11. And it's, it's not by coincidence we come to this reading today. We do sometimes plan our ministry program and get to this point. Well done, Roger, for thinking ahead and getting us to this point. We also were aware that, as Andy also mentioned, we had somebody speaking in the morning service who was telling us some interesting stuff about um, the Arab Baptist uh, Seminary. And so that didn't really lend itself where we talked about it a little bit to talking about Palm Sunday, but we knew we'd have an opportunity to, to look at that this evening. So, and hence, if there's ever a right time to sing songs with Hosanna in, this is a good evening to do it. There's always a good time to do it for a number of reasons, but it fits on this occasion as well. Let's get into it. So it says this about Jesus and his disciples. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Hence the reference to the songs. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king, kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I've been on an annual leave on holiday this week. We were in the city of Chester, and we went to Chester Cathedral. And as we were in Chester Cathedral, at one point, um, we were in one of the chapels there. And, so, and some of the people who work there, um, ushers and various people, kind of said, hold on a minute, out of the way. And they were carrying large potted palm branches, um, growing palms um, that they were getting ready for Palm Sunday. And it's just a reminder that some traditions make much more of this than we do. I was thinking a couple of things at that time. I was thinking there is no aspect of health and safety in the way they're carrying these palm branches. And there must be a trolley because they were huge things. I was thinking they're historically the wrong sort of palm, but probably not best to draw their attention to it. And I talked to them a little bit about it, and, and their gardeners have been growing these all year, ready for this service. So some churches and some traditions really do make a lot more of it. I saw this tweet from a friend of mine uh, today. I've taken the text out of it, but he uh, fosters a whole bunch of people, and he was in church on uh, this Sunday morning, just earlier this morning, and one of the little boys, who I think he's one of the boys he fosters, turns to uh, my friend and says, why have they given us swords to play with today? <laughs> And he explains, no, 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 no. It's, it's, and, and actually he uses a teaching point and says, well, we're actually remembering this week something much more than that. 
much more dangerous than swords, that the one that we've come to celebrate was killed and was crucified, but that it didn't end there. So I have this message today, and I also have the short Good Friday message as well. And so there's a link going through in my head, which might be an oversimplification, but I've been thinking of a kind of traditional sermon that I'm sure I've preached and I've definitely heard that may not be entirely correct, which is to do with how dramatically the crowd change, you see, from, uh, from Palm Sunday to Good Friday, how the, the crowd changed from being so celebrating of Jesus to so condemning of him as he's about to be crucified. Imagine that the stage is Jerusalem and Jesus is coming from Bethany and Bethpage, which imagine is over in that direction. He comes down here and everybody is celebrating, not saying you're any more holy than the people over here. You can see where this is going, but just imagine it from the point of view of a map. Um, Everybody is celebrating and he gets to Jerusalem, goes back to Bethany to rest uh, because it's evening before coming back again. And then he is arrested. All sorts of court hearings happen, Sanhedrin, and he's being abused here. And then he is led out because for Roman traditions and Jewish traditions, he's going to be crucified outside of the city. It doesn't have to necessarily be the same path. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same people. In fact, I think that I've been so thinking over the years about the contrast between those two occasions that I haven't actually very often thought about the similarities between the two occasions. And I want to just draw those out for you in a moment. In fact, as I've been thinking and praying about this, there are are a couple of very specific applications I want to draw from it. And I wonder if any of us might want to pray and think through either of them. We'll see where that goes. Now, first of all, there is a contrast. I'm not denying that there there isn't. Um, Jesus is celebrated as the king coming to rescue. And then a whole bunch of things happen. And some opposition happens. And he disappoints them. And then he is killed and crucified. And, of course, we know that that's not the end either. And Easter Sunday is coming. And we celebrate his resurrection too. Some of what is going on is a change, perhaps, in attitude in that what Jesus comes to do is not what is expected. They're expecting some sort of military takeover. Uh, They're therefore disappointed and that the opposition is led by religious leaders. My point is that maybe it's just too simple to say the same crowd changed their mind. I'm, I'm just not sure that's what the Gospels say. Luke says it was Jesus' disciples who shouted praise as he entered into Jerusalem. The whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Our reading mentions Bethany and Bethpage. John's gospel spells out Bethany with the particular connection of Lazarus just before it. So meanwhile, it says a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there in Bethany. He came not only because of him, but also because of Lazarus, who he's raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And then Jesus comes to Jerusalem. The next day, it says in John's Gospel, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way from this place where he's so popular because of this amazing miracle. 
They took palm branches and went out to meet him. So there's already opposition, but it's those who are already following Jesus, already have a high view of him, who then say in John's Gospel what we sang, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And then the donkey, and then do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. John's Gospel says the great crowd went to Bethany to see the one who raised Lazarus. And a few verses later, that great crowd welcomed Jesus. In our version, in Mark's Gospel, it says many shouted Hosanna. And it uses a very different word to talk about the crowds that oppose Jesus. My point is that none of the Gospels, Matthew does use the same word for crowd as far as I can see, but in a very different context. None of the Gospels are asking us to necessarily say it's exactly the same group of people who change their minds. And I don't really need the Bible to say that either. Um, I'm not short of examples of Christ's followers and friends betraying him and changing their minds and denying him and abandoning him. I'm just not sure that this particular bit is it. Let the Palm Sunday crowd praise Jesus for who he is, even if they don't fully understand what's going on, and for his saving works of praise. I think that's what the authors are trying to say, partly at least. So, as we've said, the road to Jerusalem passes through Bethpage and Bethany. Jesus knew Bethany well. It was the home of his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Let's pick out some things from this passage, symbols and important points. He explains that they will find a young donkey that no one has ever ridden. Here are these two disciples. What does a donkey that no one's ever ridden look like, do you reckon? It's it's not like mint condition, still in box, is it? What what does this donkey look like in in those circumstances? I'm imagining that there's probably a conversation to be had. Again, I don't necessarily have to imagine that this is another miracle of Jesus, that he pre-knows this. He might do, but this is an area he knows. And if they do ask, and they do ask, of course they do, they're taking away his donkey, say, well, he's only borrowing it, and he will return it shortly. This is an area, again, this area here, where Jesus knows well, where this amazing miracle has happened, where there is trust and goodwill and a high view of Jesus on this route to Jerusalem. When he says, use the title, the Lord, that's raising more status than he's been doing before. All of this is raising more visible status than Jesus has been doing before. And it implies that this particular area already have a high view of Jesus. How do we get then from hailing Jesus to nailing Jesus within just a few days? Well, some of it is that Jesus is allowing this master plan to happen because we need a rescue. And some of it is because the opposition is already lurking there, looking for their opportunity. And Jesus gives them, allows them to have the opportunity. So they pick this donkey. And it's a donkey, not a war horse. You know, why is that? Some of it is the humility that Andy has drawn us to. Some of it is fulfillment of some prophecy and it points to a different sort of kingdom and they do say Hosanna and when we sing or when we say Hosanna there's two or three things going on there the word refers to save us as an exclamation but it's kind of it's kind of begging crying 
please save us. It's also a cry of hope that you will save us. And it's also for us now, and some evidence says even in the first century, was already being taken as a thank you that you do save us. So when they're saying Hosanna, all of those things could be at play. And it's taking place, all of this, in Passover week, when the people of Israel remember their liberation, their being saved from slavery in Egypt. And they think that, and they're hoping for a similar rescue, like a military rescue even from the Romans who have overcome them and are now in charge. So already, you see, my point is that Palm Sunday, Good Friday, neither crowd really understand what's going on. But Jesus does, and he has this master plan that he is going to see through. So I've been thinking through what happens when Jesus comes to town. And there, my phrase is, that I want us to think about whether either of the two things that I want to draw out apply to you. When Jesus comes to town, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he comes not to meet our expectations, he comes to meet our needs. They had expectations of Jesus, that he would slay their foes, that he would lift them up on high, that he would stay around and serve them, and they would serve him as their king, And yet he comes to give his life as a ransom for our sin because he has a different agenda. The root of the real human dilemma then and now is not a political problem, but is our own sickness. And there he is, not on a war horse. He gets on this donkey and rides into town. And there is a deliberate reference, surely, to Zechariah 9, but maybe the crowd were only picking up a bit of it. You see, Zechariah 9 says, looking with this messianic prophecy about the Messiah coming to rescue, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. That's the humility bit that Andrew draws our attention to. On a colt, the foal of a donkey, which the other gospels bring out as being also what's going on here. And then it says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. The next bit of the prophecy points to a different type of takeover, not a military one. But it's as though they haven't read that and haven't fully taken that on board. So they get their palm branches out, whatever these particular palm branches look like, and they start placing them out and waving them. And that had a specific meaning too. It was used to celebrate victories, particularly military victories. So when the Jewish Maccabees military uh, victory took place a couple of centuries before that, they retook Jerusalem from pagan overlords. And it was a kind of military takeover. And so That was celebrated with palm branches. And so they're kind of redoing this celebration in order to kind of encourage Jesus and celebrate the fact that they think they know what's going on. Most people reckon in Jerusalem there were about 50,000 people normally. So like double the size of Chichester. At Passover time, that moves from 50,000 to 500,000. So that's like Portsmouth and Southampton put together instead of Chichester. 
That's the size of the city that suddenly you're looking at. Which is another reason why I think it doesn't have to be the same crowd. Because if you've got 500,000 people, it could very easily be a different group of people who are suddenly opposing Jesus at, at that point. And it reads like it's those who are already on the side of the religious leaders. When Jesus comes to town, he does not come to meet our expectations. He comes to meet our needs. I wonder if that's true for you, or if you can consider that it could be true. You've been hoping and praying, and believing because you're faithfully praying that that God will answer your prayer and your request in a particular way. He will do a particular thing for you. And maybe he will. He's hugely gracious. But maybe also sometimes the lesson is he he won't do it the way we're expecting. He's got a different agenda, a bigger agenda, a better agenda, eternally speaking. And he will come to meet our needs, not our expectations. I was reading about a Christian leader who suddenly got this um, experience of prolonged pain that they just couldn't get rid of. And... And it's, it's, it's come to be something that they haven't been healed from yet, and they've just had to learn to live with it. But they have found, and I discovered this after thinking through this idea about Palm Sunday, they have found Palm Sunday to be hugely helpful to them along these lines, that Jesus meets our needs, not our expectations. And so this person, Jonathan Merritt, said this at one point, What we experience as disappointment, because he kept on asking for help from God and it didn't come, hasn't come yet, is an invitation to give up holding tight to what we hope is true, to stop trying to cast God in our image, to let God be who God is, not who we wish God would be. I'm convinced that that's part of the Palm Sunday message, and I'm convinced that that's a message that some of us need to take on board and need to hear. The Good Friday crowd also misunderstand Jesus and also he's not meeting their expectations, he's meeting actually their needs and everybody's needs too. Second point, and my only other point really, when Jesus comes to town, there is often something different going on to what the people think. When Jesus comes to town, there is often something different going on to what the people think. And it's a reminder to us to just be humble that his agenda may be completely different to ours. Let me give you one example of that because it's fresh in my mind from something I was doing just before holiday. Um, Many of you know, if you're not visiting us, I have a role now for our denomination. I'm the vice president of the denomination this year. And from next month, I'm the president of the denomination. That gives me the privilege of seeing a whole variety of different contexts. And in a meeting I was at uh, just two weeks ago, now, I met the guys behind this church in South End called 57 West and a Baptist minister called Dan who set this up. Now, let me tell you about Dan and tell you about exactly what happened as briefly as I can and as best I can remember Dan's explanation. Dan had worked for YWAM, a youth uh, mission that's now an adult mission too, and he had this plan to set up a church in South End for the clubbing and pub community to reach uh, millennials, to reach young adults in a way that other groups were not reaching. And having come from a dynamic mission organization like YRAM, he tried absolutely everything to reach this group of people. 
without any success whatsoever. So much so that on one occasion, eventually, it comes to the point that they're in this building here in 57 West, and they're praying really what what are their closing prayers for this church community. They're saying, Lord, we've tried everything. Maybe we misheard. Maybe you just don't want us to do this type of church for this type of people. We're about to give up, Lord. Whereupon a couple of homeless people knock on the door and say, look, it's pretty cold. Can we come in? And their immediate answer, Dan's immediate thought is, no, we're trying to reach the pub community and the clubbing community. You are definitely not it. But somewhere deep within him, he has another thought. And his other thought is, well, we're we're praying. So you can come in if you want to join in those prayers. And what they discovered was this homeless community have a pretty profound prayer life. Like it may not be completely formed in the way that we would like it to be ultimately, but they pray about things. They pray that they will make it safely through the night. They pray that they won't be too cold. They pray that they will have enough food to eat and the right clothes and so on. So these couple of guys are praying with them. And then one of them says, do you mind if I go and get some other people to pray as well? So they go and get six more homeless people to come and join them. And then more join and more join until in South End, 57 West, becomes this growing church community for homeless and vulnerable people. What then happens is that this church thrives, it's supported, and the story grows and grows. And that would already be the answer to the illustration that I'm looking for, wouldn't it? In that what God has going on is so, so often different to what we think is going on. What then happens is one stage further, though, Dan starts to talk to some of these guys and finds out that actually some of these people are where they are because they've been mistreated, actually because they've been trafficked. So it's a modern-day slavery thing, actually. Some of them have been uh, taken away from their homes, taken to different places around Europe um, against their will. Now they've ended up back in the UK. The majority of modern traffic people in Britain are still British, but have been vulnerable people for a variety of reasons, and some other nations as well. And he, long story short, develops this ministry, which is actually our denomination's lead ministry in this area, for people who are trafficked and people in modern-day slavery. Now, I've heard him talk about that ministry, and I would say he's called to that ministry. And I would say that we need that ministry. Go back two, three years, and that isn't what he's praying for. That isn't why why he thinks God has sent him to South End, and that isn't what he's trying to set up. So, when Jesus comes to town there is often something different going on to what people think. There's an irony in this passage that the people coming for Palm Sunday, they're on a pilgrimage and they are singing songs celebrating Jesus though they don't know it. They're actually singing some psalms that have the words Hosanna in it, um, but they don't realise who Jesus is and quite how he's going to do what he's going to do. When I talk about town, it might be different to you. So when Jesus comes to town, for town, read city, when he comes to our area, when he comes to our church, 
when he comes into our family, when he comes into our lives, when he comes into our hearts. I wonder if that message applies to some of you too, that we need to just think about the thing that we have been praying for for such a long time and wonder if God's got a different plan and maybe we need to accept that and be open to the fact that if God is the creator God of the universe, there are always going to be some things that are surprises that we never saw coming. And that's just part of the deal. So the point that I started with, imagine that's, this is our Palm Sunday road. And I'm saying it doesn't necessarily have to be the same people that are on this road to on the Good Friday road, um, where Jesus is taken out from the city to, to be crucified. I do think, though, that, that we have some ownership of both roads. I do think that we have some ownership of the Good Friday road, and we need to recognize that Jesus has to walk this way because of us. And so whether it's the same crowd or not, we're here in that sense. We need this sacrifice, and we have this week to give thanks and to celebrate and to remember. And we have the privilege of saying Hosanna, knowing the next bits of the story. There'll still be surprises, but we need this road too to give God thanks for what Jesus did for us. I want to pray, invite the band back, and I want to just invite you to consider whether any, or particularly either, of those applications apply to you. When Jesus comes to town, and town could be <clears throat> our area, our church, our family, our lives, when he comes into our hearts, is it for us to accept today in prayer, in a personal way, maybe something going on, that he doesn't come to meet our expectations? He's sovereign. He comes to meet our needs. When he comes to town, is it for us to accept today that there's often stuff going on that we don't understand, that surprises are to be expected? Would you stand with me and we'll pray, if you're able to stand. Well, we've got one, two, one. just pray both things in and then we're going to sing one song to close Servant King Lord we might not have thanked you at the time but we can thank you that you're not about meeting our expectations that your plan is different is bigger, lasts longer, and is the one we need. Thank you that you meet our needs, not our expectations. Help us to trust that for you, particularly those for whom this is their red-hot subject today. And Lord, thank you for the reminder that you are a God of surprises, that there is often something different going on to what we think is going on. 
Help us therefore to always fall on our knees seeking you for guidance. To always have some humility about what we say is going on in any given set of circumstances. Thank you that on both roads, your agenda wins even when others are trying to force theirs. And we claim in our lives that your agenda will win through. Amen.